everybody. Happy Father's Day, guys, all you dads in the room. Uh, it's, uh, it's the one day we get, right? Uh, so anyway, it's good. Happy Father's Day. It is a, a, a wonderful day to see everybody here. Uh, my name's Mike Ferry. For those of you that are newer around here, I'm one of the elders here, but I just wanted to give you a, a very happy good welcome and all that kind of stuff. If, if, if you're a visitor, make sure we get a chance to get to know you. Don't, don't run out right after. If, you, if you've got the time, we would love to have a couple minutes just to just to chat and, and, and find out a little bit about you. Uh, I have a couple of announcements that I want to make sure and mention to you this morning. Uh, I know we've got the kids things going on, okay? There's a swim party coming up on June 28th, that's soon. That's going to be at the Harbin's home, and it's going to be the rising fourth grade and through the eighth grade. Is that correct? There'll be a, there's a sign-up sheet right up over here on the table for you. If you have a young one in those, that age category and like for them to go to that, make sure and sign up kind of so we get a little bit of a head count about who's going to be there and that kind of stuff. But the Harbins live out on Goose Pond Island. It's a real easy place to get to if you, uh, if you uh, want to uh, come out there and, and, and join them for a party. I'm sure it'll be a blast for the kids. A couple other quick things. Ladies, you remember I stood up here and I t told you about this thing that was getting ready to happen and then it didn't happen? Well, it's going to happen now. July 10, mark your, mark your calendars, July the 10th, there's going to be a ladies' gathering here at the church. There's a, there's a new sign-up sheet because of the change in date, and Chris Clark is going to be putting on a, a, a program there. Chris is a event planner. Would that be the accurate version of what you do, more or less? But, but Chris is right back there. She, she will explain to you, ladies, what's going on if you, if you, if you would like to know. But it's July the 10th here at the church, and I believe there's a sign-up sheet out there now, right? Yeah, okay, it's out there now. So uh, uh, get with her, get with Sarah, and they can uh, let you know kind of what, what to prepare for on that. You guys uh, that have been here a while, you know that we have a kind of a prayer initiative going where we have asked folks to, to be uh, actively involved in our prayer initiative here. And uh, so I just kind of want to remind that that's still an open opportunity. If you would like to be involved in that, keep praying. Those of you that are already involved, and like I say, if, uh, if you want to become involved, you can see me, you can see the pastor, you can see Sarah, any of the elders, and, uh, and we will be happy to let you know, what to, you know how to get involved and how we would like to actively emphasize uh, prayer here uh, as a church body as a whole. Uh, also, let us know if there's prayer needs, okay? And we would, we would love to, to be able to, to be praying for you specifically uh, as, as things arise. Uh, okay, I'm going to pray, then Jerry's going to come up and, and do our call to worship, and we'll get going. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we love you, and we thank you for the day today. We thank you for the beauty and the changes that, that come our way from cold to, to hot. And uh, we thank you for that. We thank you for the beautiful green that we see in the air today and, 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 in, the, and, and in the landscape. We thank you for the, the beautiful colors. We ask, Lord, that you will take this time, our church time, and indwell this place in a way that changes us. May the preaching of your word, the singing of praise, songs and, and the singing of, of songs that point to you will, will be 
and the honor lifting you up high and allowing us, Lord, to draw into your presence that you might change our hearts in a very real way. Thank you again for your love for us. Thank you again for your provision in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. The call to worship today is from Romans chapter 15, 13. And uh, I'd encourage you to really listen to the words of this verse as it seems like uh, it's incredibly appropriate for where we, where we are in the, in the country and in the world these days. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in love. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for this verse, and, and I thank you that you are the God of hope. And Lord, sometimes um, when we get to looking at the circumstances around us, uh, it would be easy to get uh, frustrated and, and lose hope. And, Lord, then when we lose our hope, then our joy and our peace and even our faith may soon follow. So, Father, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, uh, you will strengthen the hope that we have in Christ. And that out of that, we will be able to share hope with others. And also, Lord, that our lives will be filled with joy and peace so that the, the power of the gospel will be seen by those around us. I pray this for each of us in this church this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. To be at the uh, Southern Baptist Convention, and uh, on Tuesday night, they have what they call Nine Marks at Nine. Nine Marks is a ministry that I've been following for years. It's a ministry that Mark Dever started. And one thing that was really interesting is that we got in the facility, about 1,500, 1,600 pastors. It was going to start at 9 o'clock, and at about 8.35... Mark walked out to the stage and he goes, we got 25 minutes before this starts and we're not going to waste it. He goes, we're going to sing to God. And he opened up a hymnal and he led about 1,600 people in song. I'm going to give you a little clip of this. It was a really cool experience. We're going to play a video really fast. And I want you to see how this looked. Pretty neat, isn't it? I, one of the things that uh, it motivated me on is because Mike had carpal tunnel surgery, and he's still recovering. And so uh, we were hoping he could make it back this Sunday, and he can't. So I tried five different people, and I was 0 for 5. And all my days of uh, getting on Mike Bratton are coming back to haunt me. <laughs> the, uh, but I'll tell you this. I was thinking about something, though. 
I watched Mark get up and lead, and it hit me. I was like, you know, we've made a horrible error in the church when we think that we could not sing if somebody was not leading us who knew music. What would we do if we were the underground church in China? Would we not sing to the Lord if somebody wasn't a wonderful singer or a great musician? The people of God are to sing. And in fact, we're the only, Christianity is the only religion in the world that sings. And so today, I'm going to turn my mic off, and Ellie's going to help me, and Lana's going to play. And here's what I want you to do. We're going to sing out. Congregational singing is meant for the church to be the choir. It's not meant to just listen to people on the stage. It's meant that we sing and remind each other of what is true. So today, we're going to be looking at a passage. The first song we're going to sing this morning is In Christ Alone. I want to read you a lyric in this song. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground. Firm through the fiercest drought and storm. When we read about hope in Hebrews today, we're reading about hope in this song. Because faith that is based on the future is called hope. So Ellie's going to come up, and I'm turning my mic off, and I'm going to be encouragement for all you men who don't like to sing. And let's sing loud today, and let's help Ellie and Lana. And I want you to stand up, and we're going to start out with In Christ Alone. alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song this cornerstone this solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of peace when fears are still when striving cease my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Just alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save till on the cross that jesus died the wrath of god was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of christ i live in the ground darkness slain then bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory since curse has lost its grip on me for I am his and he is mine but with the precious blood 
gift of grace is Jesus my redeemer there is no more for heaven now to give he is my joy my righteousness and freedom my steadfast love my deep and boundless peace to this I hold my only Jesus for my life is wholly bound to his oh how strange and divine I can sing all is mine yet not I but through Christ in me forsaken for by my side the Savior he will stay I labor on in weakness and rejoicing for in my need his power is displayed to this I hold my shepherd will defend me through the deepest valley he will lead oh the night has been won and i shall overcome yet not i but through christ in me fate I dread I know I am forgiven the future sure the price it has been paid for Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon 
And he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released, I can sing. I am free, yet not I, but through Christ in me. With every breath, I long to follow Jesus. For he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, I know he will renew me. Until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. Oh, the is complete still my lips shall repeat yet not i but through christ in me to this i hold hope is only jesus all the glory evermore to him when the race is complete still my lips shall is complete still my lips shall repeat yet not i but through christ in me yet not i but through christ in me yet not i but through christ in me soul are you weary and troubled no light in the darkness you see there's light for a look at the savior and life more abundant and free turn your eyes upon jesus Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Through death into life everlasting, he passed and we follow him there. No more. 
back to your son in those past three songs Lord uh, help us to remember that it really is in Christ alone um, I mean that's that's all there is to it forgive me and those of us who struggle with our pharisaical ways trying to earn favor or earn earn something that's not ours to earn Lord um, pray you'd be with us Steve as he brings a message and that he would uh, that you would open up our hearts and that we would receive it in your name amen
6, Hebrews chapter 6. This morning, I want to say happy Father's Day. I know that um, this is a day that sometimes when you preach a theme sermon, about three-fourths of the audience tunes you out because they say, I'm not a father, and I'm not going to listen. But today, I'm going to say encouragement for fathers is the name of the title. Encouragement for fathers. What we're going to do, I don't know, we went through Hebrews 6, 9 through 20, and I felt like it was a blitz. And I just wanted to go back, and, and I needed some time to myself just to really look at this and study it more. And I feel like I want to try to wrap up some of the things we've seen in this section. And I'm going to do it in a way of trying to say encouragement for dads, encouragement for men, encouragement for the body of Christ. And today what we're going to do is we're going to look at three characteristics of a godly man's life. Three characteristics of a godly man's life. My slides aren't working well this morning. Luke's going to try to help me out some, but don't get thrown by that. But three characteristics of a godly man's life. Let's read verse 17 down to verse 20. Let's read the passage, and then let's pray and ask God that he would really bring this home to our heart this morning. Let's pray. Let's read, and then we'll pray. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I'm going to pray. And guys, if y'all could help me, this front row of lights accidentally is turned off. If y'all could turn that on, it's really dark up here. The first row. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we can be together today. And Lord, I pray that as we look at your word, that God, you give his ears to hear. And Lord, I pray for the men in the room today, Lord, and I pray for all of us. But God, I think about these dads. I pray, oh Lord, that they would be men living after your heart. I pray that they would be godly men. I pray, Lord, that the words of Hebrews 6 would hit home to them today as they think about being a dad, as they think about a father, as they think about all kinds of things. And Lord, all of us here today, whether the ladies in the crowd, whether teenagers, whatever it may be, I pray, oh God, that today you would be glorified and honored in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Three characteristics of a godly man's life. The first one I want us to look at is it is an earnest life, an earnest life. When we think about an earnest life, that's a word that... uh, I don't use that word a lot, and so I need help thinking through, what in the world does that mean? The the word means zeal. It means diligent, zealous. You know, to be diligent and be zealous, where where did you hear be diligent at? Where where do you usually hear be diligent? I used to hear that when I wasn't turning in homework, and the teacher would say, look, you got to be more diligent. 
you got to bring it a little bit harder than that. You got to work harder. Be diligent. Diligent as a student. I wonder today, guys, as we think about Father's Day, I want you to think, you know, you can be diligent and zealous about a lot of things in your life. And what we've learned about this is, is we see that in this passage in Hebrews, he calls them right there as he jumps into verse 10 and verse 11, he calls them to be diligent according to what they've been already doing. You go back to verse 9 here, in verse, or actually verse, uh, let's look at verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust or as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. And it's really important here because without this earnestness, there is no full assurance of hope until the end. Do you see that connection there? I was thinking about it. You know, if you go around and I'm thinking about men in particular, what kind of things are guys often diligent and zealous about? They're often diligent and zealous about their career, they're diligent and zealous about their hobbies. They're diligent and zealous about money. If you think about whatever you're diligent for, whatever you're zealous for, because normally it's rare that somebody is not zealous for something. You can find a guy that's not a provider in his home. You can find a man who cares nothing about spiritual things, but often he's very diligent and zealous in pursuing the things of the flesh. He's zealous about immorality, zealous about any type of self-pleasure. But what we see here for the godly man, for the godly individual in the body of Christ, boy, girl, man, woman, we see that earnestness is key. And I want us to see something here because it really defines this earnestness as we look at the commands in the book of Hebrews. The first one I want you to look at, if you got your Bible, turn back to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. Hebrews 3, 12 through 15. Let's read through this. Notice the urgency and the command that really flows right up into what we're looking at this morning. Take care, brothers. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. And then he says, as it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Notice the, the, really the idea here. He's like, look, be careful that an unbelieving heart doesn't begin to take off within your life. Be careful and guard yourself against unbelief. This morning, men, are you zealous and diligent about the things of God? And, and if you're with me today and you're thinking, okay, I'm not where you are calling me to be, I'm not diligent. I'm not zealous for the things of God. You have to understand, and I have to understand, that the alternative to being zealous and diligent in the things of God is to literally foster an unbelieving heart. 
The life of the Christian is to walk by faith. What so often is a hindrance to all of our understanding of Christianity is by watching examples of people that are active within the body of Christ but are not living out of belief. You ever been around one of those types of people? Have you ever been one of those types of people? I think we would be presumptuous to say that we've never been in that place. And I want to warn you, today the scripture wants us to understand this call to live out of assurance, this call to live out of hope, is a call to actively walk earnestly according to what we've learned, according to what we've been taught. It goes back to what Paul says when he says in Colossians 2, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. The way we come into the faith by grace through faith alone is to literally be the way that we live. The next command passage that we see in the book is really in chapter 4. And notice what he does here in chapter 4, verse 1. He says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. I tell you, the, the idea of like a nominalism where the exception to the rule of the Christian life is the person who's really gung-ho and really walking with God. But normal Christianity is just this apathetic, lazy experience where we go through the motions. is nowhere to be found in the New Testament. And we have to guard against it. Guys, today, I want to challenge you. God calls you. He calls you through his grace. He calls you through the power of the gospel. He calls you to actively walk and lead your family actively through his grace, seek out Christ. Through his grace, be diligent and zealous in the faith. The next one we see is Hebrews 4.11, the third command that really comes out of the book. And he says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. He goes on to verse 14, the fourth command sentence. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. And what does he do? He says, look, let me tell you why. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then he says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then we get into chapter six, and it really starts to, you see the flow of the letter. And now in chapter six, the place we're looking at this morning, at the very beginning of the chapter, he says in chapter six, verse one and in verse two, therefore let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God. You remember when we were looking at this, it's the idea that don't we celebrate the little ones when they have these big achievements? It's awesome. You know, they get through uh, kindergarten. They get through first grade. They get through second grade. Sixth grade's a big one. But you know what? We go crazy. But it wouldn't be that impressive if a 37-year-old man's getting done with sixth grade. There wouldn't be the same type of enthusiasm. And what he does here, he's saying, look, we've got to move on past the elementary doctrines. 
We have to move on from the very first teachings that we received when we came into the faith. Guys, today, my challenge to you is that the book of Hebrews is calling us to see that Jesus is better. Jesus is supreme. Jesus is a faithful high priest. Jesus is a faithful builder of the house. And in the song we just sang right before I got up here, turn your eyes upon Jesus. That's what we need. Because there's no way in and of ourselves we can be the men that God wants us to be. You see, the, 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 the thrust of the letter of Hebrews is saying, look, in order to be what God intended for you to be, you need one who is supreme and far greater than anyone. You need Jesus Christ. Guys, I pray today you see that an earnest life is a godly life. When we look at this today, I want you to think, what is hindering you this morning? What is hindering you from walking earnestly, from walking diligently? What did we read about that diligence? It was a diligence that had been expressed a little bit earlier. He had expressed it how? He had expressed it with the idea that they were working in the sense of they were walking by faith. They were abiding in Christ. They were loving God. They were loving the saints. That love was seen in the way they serve one another. And the author of Hebrews says, look, you keep on doing the very same things you've been doing. You earnestly keep walking, earnestly keep moving. This word earnest is used in 2 Peter chapter 1. We went through the book of 2 Peter a while back. I want you to see something here because this is fascinating, guys. It's fascinating for all of us. 2 Peter 1.5, it says, for this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and with knowledge. He uses the same word for earnest. It's, it's make every effort. It's diligence. It's zeal. And then he says, in knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then look what Peter says. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. This morning, Christian man, if you're sitting here thinking, you know what? I'm not earnest. I'm not living according to the faith. You know what we could learn not only from the author of Hebrews, but from Peter that compliments each other immediately? If these qualities are not in our life, if this fruit is not being manifested in the way that we live, what's, what's happening? Why is that? Well, he tells us we're nearsighted, so nearsighted that we're blind. We've forgotten. You remember in Hebrews early on, he says, pay close attention to what you've heard. Don't forget it. Don't lose sight of it. Hold it dear. And that's exactly what happens here. Peter goes on. He says, brothers, be all the more diligent. There's the word. Diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray for earnest lives. 
Let's pray that we would be earnest, that we would have good works through abiding in Christ and walking by faith. But it's not only an earnest walk. I think what we see here in Hebrews is that it's an observing walk. It's an observing walk. It's earnest and it's observing, number two. And you might be thinking, how in the world is it observing? Well, let's look at this. Look at verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, verse 18, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. Now, now think about this. Why do we get the idea of observing here? Well, he, he says show. He mentions that, that God promised to Abraham in verse 13. Look at 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself. If you remember in the book of Genesis, Abraham swears by God. In Genesis 21, 23, he says, Now therefore, swear to me, here by God. That's Abraham evoking God in the equation to demonstrate that he's going to keep his word. He also says it in Genesis 24, verse 3, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and God of the earth. But think about it. When a man wants to establish that he is going to keep his word, he swears by someone greater than him. But what about God? There's no one greater than God. So God, in his kindness, to illustrate the seriousness of his promise, says to Abraham in Genesis chapter 22, in order to demonstrate to all those that would come after Abraham, including us in this room, God intends for us today to understand how faithful he is in keeping his word. And the way that he illustrates it is by literally making an oath to himself. It's, he's appealing to God. He's appealing to himself. There's no one greater. And what does he do? He shows us here that he cannot lie, that he keeps his word. Why is it so important that we understand that God keeps his word? Because this whole section deals with faith and not only that which is in the past, that which is unseen but that's happened in the past, the reality that God has worked in Christ, the reality that God has been faithful to what he said he would do, but also it's faith in what is yet to come. And what do we call that? When we have faith in the future, that's what we call hope. Faith in the future of that which hasn't happened yet is hope. But wait a minute, how is God going to encourage his people to have faith in that which has not taken place yet in the future? He wants us to understand not only his character, but he wants us to understand an example of a man who walked and trusted him by faith. So what we see here is we see that God cannot lie. We, you know, and when we look at the Bible, Titus chapter 1, Titus chapter 1 verse 2, it says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. But I love this because in verse 17, it says, He desired to show. 
What does that word mean? It means to exhibit. It means to show off before someone. How did God desire to show off and to demonstrate his faithfulness by making this oath to Abraham? And by making the oath to Abraham, he was promising that we can always trust his word. We can always trust his word. You think, why is that so significant? It's significant because these were people that were dealing with an unsettled sea, so to speak. They were like a vessel on choppy water. They were looking at clouds rolling in, and they were looking at despair all around. They were persecuted. They were possibly facing martyrdom. And what did they need? They needed an anchor. They needed a faith that was firm. They needed a faith that was secure. And what did they need? They needed a hope that God would deliver and God would not disappoint. That's what they needed. And so what does he say? He says, look, God showed his way. God demonstrated it. But you know what hit me and I was looking at this is that in order to learn about the promises of God, in order to learn about the character of God, in order to learn about examples of those who walked with God, what do we need to do? We, if God showed it, where do we learn about his character? Where do we learn about these examples? We learn it from the word of God. And men, today I encourage you, I encourage everybody here, but I encourage you to understand that we can't understand who God is and what he is like unless we go to the scriptural account in order that by the Holy Spirit we can build our faith, that God through the power of the Spirit can grow us in the faith. I tell you, it's like the old adage I heard a guy say years ago and I didn't understand it. He said, if a person, I remember one time a, a precious old lady, she made the comment, she says, I'm not a person of the word, I'm a person of prayer. It sounds spiritual, but it's not. Because how are you going to pray to God if you don't know how he's revealed himself? How are you going to pray scripturally according to the will of God if you have no concept about the knowledge of the will of God? You see, you can't pray because you can't pray unless you know how God has revealed who he is. You can't pray unless you understand how God has worked in Christ. If you don't understand the mediator of Jesus, how do you approach God? How do you approach praying about his will? How do you approach praying about circumstances? The knowledge of the word of and the will of God guide the way that we pray and that we speak to God. And not only does it guide the way we pray, it guides our understanding of his perfect character. And what do we see in verses 17 through 20? And all the way up, really, we see that God is faithful to keep his word. Young people, college people, midlife people, older people, <laughs> whatever it may be, we got to be people that are observers. God's demonstrated, God's pointed out who he is. And if we're not observing who he is, if we're not observing how he's revealed himself, listen to 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. Now, these things happen to them as an example but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. And what do we, a great example is when we look at Hebrews 6, we read in verse 12, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators 
of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And what do you think he's going to do? He goes on and talks about Abraham. He says, let me teach you about how Abraham is an example to you, how Abraham is a man of faith, how Abraham patiently waited by faith and obtained the promise. And what did we see last week? We saw that this faithful patience revealed in Abraham's life was what? It was waiting on the promise of a seed. And in Abraham's life, all he understood was that God would be faithful. And God promised him a son. And it wasn't the way Abraham perceived. Because Abraham's like we are. He's a person who struggled with flesh. He's a person who struggled with doubt. And he thought, you know what? Surely God's not going to do it that way. He needs my help. And what did he do? He had a handmaid named Hagar, and she conceived. And what happened? She had a son named Ishmael. And God was thinking, you know what? This is great because you said I'd have a son, and I had a son. And you could paraphrase, God's like, I'm not doing this your way. I'm doing it my way. And in order for you to understand what I'm about, you're going to have to trust that I'm going to be faithful to my word. And what did he do? Abraham and Sarah, old in age, had a baby. And when Isaac was born, it was like the beginning. It was like the earnestness, the, the, the earnest money to the full deposit that was going to come through the seed, which was Jesus Christ, who would redeem all the world. You see, we learn that in the Bible by observing the word of God. I wonder today, you know, I was reading or listening on the radio, and they said, I didn't even believe these numbers, but I think they're true. It said the average 21-year-old, look, it was like over 10,000 times. It was like five to 10,000 times a day the average 21-year-old looks at their phone through the course of a day. That could be just like one, you know. You think about how many times a minute, do the math, it starts to get really high. What are we looking at? What are we observing? I'm not talking about just cell phones. This isn't a cell phone detour. But what are you observing? What grabs your attention? What we've learned in Hebrews chapter 6 is that we are to learn about the character of God. We are to learn about the examples of faith. We are to learn who God is and that he will always deliver but the danger is this, guys. The danger is our eyes are often motivated to look at worthless things. In Colossians chapter 3, it says, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of the earth. And I, and I challenge it not only in the thing, the thing of thinking, am I earnest? Am I diligent? Am I zealous? The next question is, what am I zealous for? But then following that up, you say, okay, wait a minute, but what am I observing? What am I looking to? What am I really focusing on? Uh, you've heard this example before, but I mean, it's the common thing, you know, when you learn how to play basketball. I was a, I played the three spot, which was like a small forward. I was never accused of being a point guard. But often, you know, what happens? You're in a press break. If you don't look up, you can't see the floor. You can't see the guy flash into the middle. You can't see the guy underneath the basket because if you dribble looking straight down, all you see is right here. But what do we need in order to grow our faith? What do we need to walk in hope? We desperately need to observe who God is and how he's worked throughout human history. 
And the author of Hebrews is exhorting us to understand that way back in Genesis 22, God showed and demonstrated his faithfulness and God worked through a man by his grace and that man was enabled to trust God. So we need to see it's an observing life. Psalm 119.37, turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. One of the biggest dangers of our life, guys, is that we live our life for meaningless things. And in the process, don't have the wisdom or the discernment to gaze away and look unto Jesus. And you know what it reminds us of? What we desperately need is that which we've been reminded of over and over in Hebrews. Jesus is greater. Jesus is better because apart from his grace, we will never have the wisdom. We will never have the strength to do the things that we're supposed to do. It's an earnest life. It's an observing life. But finally, it's a, it's a hopeful life. It's a hopeful life. I want us to think of this. You know, one of the passages here that I really didn't bring out last time is, is hearing, he wants them to see that they are the remnant. You start back in verse 15. And this Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise for people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, now this is exciting. Back up, back up. Wait a minute. It doesn't say, so when God desired to show more convincingly to Abraham the unchangeable character of his purpose, now he did, because in Genesis 22, what did he do? He re-upped his promise. He says, I swear by myself. But what was the intent, though? This is fascinating. For, and thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise, verse 16, for people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise. Here's the question. Who are the heirs of the promise that God gave Abraham? God promised that he would have a seed that ultimately would bless the entire world. Who are the heirs of the promise? I love this. F.F. Bruce says, who are the heirs of the promise to whom God wished in this way to show more convincingly the unchangeableness of his purpose, not so much Abraham and the other patriarchs who for all their faith did not live to see it vindicated and in this sense did not receive what they had been promised, but those like the writer and his readers who experienced in the gospel the fulfillment of the oath which God swore to Abraham. I love this because in Galatians, it teaches us, and in verse 29 of Galatians 3, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Now, wait a minute. You mean to tell me today 
that not only did we sing together declaring about the things of God, but do you mean to tell me that because the common bond, I pray, that's in this room is that we have believed on the gospel in Jesus Christ, there's a word here intended for us, intended for us to see the ramifications. Look at 17 again now. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. Do you realize that even though Genesis 22 took place thousands of years ago, that God, when he made that oath to Abraham, was intending to build your confidence even this morning into the promise of God that will always be fulfilled? That's amazing. God, I love this because, you know, a lot of times we have a view of God that he's just one who mocks us. He want, he's one who scolds us. But do you realize the grace that just flows out of that passage? How many of you are hard-headed like me? Anybody besides me? How many of you got to be told something a lot of times over and over and over? How many times have you been unfaithful? How many times have you been ignorant when, when you should have known better? How many times have you dropped the ball? Have you sinned willfully? But what's the message here? God, in his grace, in Jesus Christ, loves us so much that he intends to show grace after grace after grace to bring us to the place of trusting him, to trusting no matter what. The heirs according to the promise. I was reading a, an article that said over 55% of people fear they'll never fully recover from COVID pandemic stress. It's a lot of people in the world. 55% of people. You know, it hit me. I was thinking, you know, if you put your hope into things of the world, it never delivers. It always disappoints. If you don't have hope that is true and firm, it'll always let you down. So if your hope's in the created order and not in the creator, what happens? You're, you're, you're doomed for disappointment. You see, this reminds me, you see, you get to a place of fear, of stress, where you have no reliable hope. And, and what happens here? We need solid, sustaining hope. We need a hope that delivers a hope that will bring confident expectation in the future. It's like last night, I was watching the Nets and the Bucks, and uh, I, didn't, I don't like either one, but I was pulling for the Bucks. And uh, at the end, though, I was thinking, is he going to make it? Is he going to make it? I mean, Durant's the best player in the world. Is he going to make it? And he missed it. A lot of Nets fans were like, please make this shot. I know he can make it. But was that confident hope? No. It was hoping it. It was like, I'm going fishing Wednesday. I hope the weather's good. I hope dad gets home on time. I hope this takes place. But notice something here. There's something different in this text. And guys, I pray we would see it. Because in order to walk through life with stability, in order to walk through life with assurance, it's built on the promises of God. And God desires that we not only learn from those who've walked by faith, but that we trust and learn about the character of God because he desires for us to see that because we are heirs of the promise, we can put it all on the table. We can go all in according to the promises of God.
I tell you, that's convicting, isn't it? Because sometimes our lives are lived with this sense of doubt and distrust that God may not deliver what he said he would do. But this is different. He's saying, no, Abraham, I fulfilled my word. He promises here that the heirs according to the promise. What does he do in verse 17? So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose. So today we see the unchangeable character of the purpose of God. He guaranteed it with an oath. And then what does he say in verse 18? So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. He says, let it be an encouragement to you. Keep going. I remember uh, my favorite Christian songwriter when I was in my teens was Rich Mullins. And his, my favorite song that he sang was Step by Step. And he makes this, he says this line in the song, sometimes I think of Abraham, how one star he saw had been lit for me. You say, what is that all about? You remember in Genesis chapter 15, verse five, he brought Abraham outside and he says, look towards heaven and number the stars. If you were able to number them, Abraham looked up towards the heavens and then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And the promise was not primarily to physical descendants of ethnic Israel. It was speaking of spiritual descendants of those who had the common denominator of faith in Jesus Christ. And Rich Mullins understood that when Abraham looked up in that sky, by the grace of God, there was a star lit for him. And by the grace of God, for everyone in this room who's in Jesus Christ, there was a star lit for you. And what should it remind you today? That the God who makes his promises is the God who keeps his promise. And he calls them here and he's saying, look, back in verse 9, 10, 11, walk earnestly, walk earnestly. Go back to verse 10. We see in verse 9 and verse 10 and then verse 12, verse 11, verse 11. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to, and it's the idea of in order that, to have the full assurance of hope until the end. It's as if he's saying, as you keep walking in the way that you know to walk, one of the unique results that the Spirit's going to bring into your life is that you're going to experience a full assurance of hope until the end. Jerry read Romans 15, 13. Romans 15, 13, did you catch part of what he read? This verse is loaded with truth. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I had my, my college coach one time in a crisis I was going through in my life. He said, man, he goes, he goes, how do you get into the house of hope? I was like, what are you talking about, Coach Mo? He goes, how do you get in the house of hope? He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace 
in what? Believing. The house of hope has a front door. You could call that front door belief. As you walk by earnestness, as you walk by faith, as you walk by belief, you enter into the house of hope. You begin to experience the hope of God's word. The Holy Spirit begins to give you assurance of the promises that he's given, that he indeed will be faithful to his word. And that's this morning we see that we're called to earnestness, we're called to observe, we're called to hope. But this hope is something that God pours out in our life through his power. We get into the last verse of of chapter 6. In verse 19 and 20, the last verses, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place beyond the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Listen to this by Bruce again. This is amazing. He says, we are refugees from the sinking ship of this present world order so soon to disappear. Our hope is fixed on the eternal order where the promises of God are made good to his people in perpetuity. Our hope based upon his promises is our spiritual anchor. He goes on, the figure of the anchor is not pressed. All that is meant is that we are moored to an immovable object and that immovable object is the throne of God himself established in the heavenly holy of holies the counterpart in the eternal order to the inner sanctuary of the wilderness tabernacle, shut off from the outer sanctuary by the heavy curtain behind which dwelt the invisible presence of the God of Israel. And our hope is fixed there because Jesus is there, seated as we have already been told at the right hand of the majesty on high. His presence there is a powerful corroboration of our hope. Abraham rested his hope in the promise and oath of God, but we have more than that to rest our hope upon. We have the fulfillment of his promise in the exaltation of Christ. No wonder that our hope is secure and stable. Amen. I love this because, you know, when he started that out, we are refugees from the sinking ship of this present world order that God is writing his word to us even today in 2021 Christians. And he's calling us to see that our hope is not fixed on this present world. Our hope is fixed on the life to come. It's weird, isn't it, how you go through days like this on the calendar that, you know, are man-made to build revenue and make people feel guilty to go to CVS at 9 o'clock on Saturday night by cards, but they're days nonetheless, aren't they? And they become special in different ways. I was looking at pictures and I wasn't really like uh, having an emotional experience about thinking about dad for Father's Day, but I came across a picture and it was weird, you know, it hit me weird. It was a picture of dad holding Luke. Luke was two years old and dad was sitting at the table at Charlie and Elizabeth's house. And immediately when I saw that picture, it stung, it stung so hard. I saw him looking at that deck, and it was just like everything within me ached for my dad. And immediately, as I was studying this, it was weird because I was thinking that was weird. I wasn't thinking about dad, and I just saw that picture, and all that emotion came out. And how many of you are here today? And some of you have lost a spouse. Some of you lost your dad. You've lost a mom, and you're just feeling really low. You feel hurt. 
And I was thinking about it. I was like, you know, the word of God, I was thinking about John 14, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. Revelation 21, 1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. Revelation 21, 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And as the believers in Christ Jesus, we're being exhorted here to put our hope into what God has revealed in his word. And we have to understand something. If you want to grow sluggish, if you want to grow in unbelief, don't observe the word of God and don't walk earnestly. And I can guarantee you something. You're not going to live in hope. You're not going to live with a steadfast hope. How do we walk in this hope? How do we nurture this hope? We walk in this hope. We nurture this hope by daily walking unto Christ, saying yes to his word in dependent obedience. And as we walk earnestly, the spirit enables hope of assurance till the very end. The spirit enables faith and patience in the promises of God. So I want you to be encouraged. This morning, we have a secure hope. We have a secure hope. And guys, we think about this life. We could come up with other characteristics. There's far more than three. But the three that hit me again, earnestness, an earnest life, guys. Do you have an earnest life? Do you have a life that's gazing into the word of God? That's seeking to know God as to how he's revealed himself? Seeking to learn and process. You know, the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. Are you going to put your eyes on the things of this world, which amounts to foolishness? Are you going to seek Christ through his word, which amounts to the wisdom of God? And finally, we see this, this hopeful life. I want to read you this passage as we about wrap it up. Titus chapter 2. In Titus 2, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And look what he says. What about this hope? Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who were zealous for good works. It's an earnest life. It's an observing life. It's a hopeful life. I pray we'd earnestly pursue Christ. I pray we'd gaze into his word, learn of him, grow in our faith, look to him, surrender, submit, grow in hopefulness, and walk in that hope. Do you know him this morning? You may be here today and and this is sort of strange to you because you're thinking, I know about the story of Jesus, but I've never experienced something that truly impacts me inwardly. It may be fun to go to church and, and be religious and ethical, but I've never had an inward peace and an inward hope. Maybe you never come to know him. In Romans 3, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory 
of God. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I plead to you today, repent and turn to Jesus. Repentance means I'm walking one way and I turn away from the direction I'm going. That's repentance, to turn from. Faith is turning to, it's turning towards. And the promise in the Bible is for those that repent and place their faith in Christ. The promise is they receive forgiveness of sins. Today, I pray you have that hope. Would you bow your head? Lord, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the reminder that because Jesus has been exalted to the right hand of his Father, of you, O Lord, that we have a sure and steadfast hope. Lord, it's secure. Lord, he fulfilled the plan. He fulfilled the promise. And Lord, it's a guarantee of all the other promises that are coming. Lord, you went before us and the fact you went before us guarantees that we will come after you. You will be good on your promise. And Lord, I pray today, this Father's Day, Lord, you take all these men in this room. I pray, oh God, that your spirit would bring them to a, a truly just a convicting time with you, oh God, where your spirit guides them in obedience to what we read and what we learn today. Thank you that it's only possible because of Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd stand with me. You know, the answer this morning is truly turning our eyes to Jesus. Lana's going to play that as we reflect. Charlie's going to be in our, that hallway here to my right, and you see it going up the hall towards the front. Maybe this morning you need someone to talk to about the gospel. You need prayer, whatever it may be. As Lana plays, let's prayerfully consider what we've looked at in God's word as Lana leads us.
you, I thank you, Lord, for just the, the blessing of being able to be the pastor of this church. And Lord, I pray that, uh, Lord, we would grow up in maturity in Christ Jesus. And Lord, I pray that we would see neighbors and friends and people we don't even really know. I pray we would see them come to know you and come to see them experience this hope. Lord, I pray for all the dads. I pray, Lord, you guide them in godliness. I pray that you guide them in growing up into you, O Christ Jesus, Lord. Lord, I pray for those that are hurting today, those that are really sad. I pray that you give them hope. I pray, Lord, they'd look to you. And I pray, God, that they would be so comforted by the fact that 